Thanks again, again uh, for, for being here. If you came in a little bit late, um, made an announcement that uh, today for those who are in the adult congregation or you're an adult, you're college age and older, uh, we invite you to a Valentine's gathering from 3 to 6. So after Bible study classes, you can go get lunch and, and then um, make your way over to James and Lauren Kim's home. From 3 to 6, we'll be meeting and just having a time to, to, to really celebrate. There'll be some good, um, some real fun, um, just icebreakers and games that will be led by uh, some of our brothers and, and, and sisters. There'll be some, some food that different house churches have provided. So if you have any questions, you don't feel like, you know what, I'm not in a house church. Can I still go? Uh, definitely, by all means, come. Um, their home is, is right here in, in Winter Garden. I would love to have um, yeah, just as many as can come be there so that we could enjoy that time and be hearing a, a brief devotion and playing some games that um, help us to see what Valentine's is about. So it'll be a really good time. So please do make sure that you're there if you are uh, in college age or older. I don't know if you heard the, the story of this lady. She was a, a, newly, a newly married woman. And Valentine's Day was coming up. And so like the night before, a couple nights before, she had this dream. And uh, Valentine's morning, she got really excited to share her dream with her husband. She said, oh, my gosh, you'll never guess. You'll never guess what I dreamt. And, and it's just like filled with, with excitement. She's like, I dreamt that on Valentine's Day, you gave me a pearl necklace. What do you think that could mean? And he looked at her with uh, just a sense of kind of like, I'm the man here. And he, he, he nodded and he said, don't worry about it. You'll find out tonight, baby. And she was really excited. So he went off to work. Uh, she went off about her day. He came back home from work, and he had this little box, and he presented it to her. And he said, Happy Valentine's Day. She was so excited. And she opened up this package, and it was a book. It said, How to Interpret Dreams. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> sometimes um, it's that gap between your expectation and your reality that oftentimes causes disappointment, isn't it? The greater the gap between uh, what you expect and what is really happening, uh, that's the cause of, of, of disappointment, of discouragement. And unless someone speaks truth into that disappointment, that disappointment can easily lead to despair. This is kind of the situation that was facing the people that Peter is writing to in Asia Minor, these Christians who had signed up to follow Jesus and all that stuff. I know we've talked about this, um, but to rehash, they'd signed up to follow Jesus. They knew that Jesus was, was the conquering king, and, and all of these things they're really excited about. And they signed up to follow him, but in the midst of following him, they began to realize that, hold on, wait a minute, there's a lot of tough things that come with following Jesus. There's a price to pay. They realized that they were alienated from the rest of culture. They realized that some of their friends were being, being, being taken captive and thrown into jail, and some of them were being, uh, their lives were at risk. And they realized that, wait a second, wait a second, this is a very difficult thing that we signed up for. And a lot of them are probably thinking, is it even worth it for me to continue following and living this Jesus way? And that, that, that gap between the reality and their expectation caused all kinds of disappointment and discouragement. And so this letter was written in that gap, to speak into the situation truth. And as a result, what ends up happening is as you read through 1 Peter, the discouragement and, and the depression gives way to desire and to direction and to destiny that points them forward and says, don't look back, but keep on moving forward because God has not lost a grip on your life. And so we're going to continue by reading in 1 Peter chapter 2. And I think this is highly important. What we read here is highly important because he's talking about how is it that you can make sure that you're going to make it home safely. Yeah, how, how do you know that you're, going to be, that, you're going to, that you're going to get to the other side and you're going to stand before Jesus? He's going to welcome you into his rest and that you're going to get there. What is it? And he talks about two very important things that are absolutely essential 
for spiritual growth. And so I think this message is not, not just obviously for those who are experiencing persecution and wondering, is it worth it to follow Christ? It's for any of the, you feel like, you know what? I want to grow. I want to grow in Christ, but I'm just having a really hard time growing. If that's you, then I think the word of the Lord is for you today. Or for those who feel like, you know what? I don't think I, I, I've been trying and it's just, I just can't get over the hump. I hope and pray that what is shared today would give life and would give hope and would give direction and desire and destiny so that it would help you uh, to live in this gap here. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is God's word. Uh, this begins chapter two if you look in your Bible, but as you're reading, you know, as you write emails or as you probably, yeah, as you write emails or as you write letters, if, you, if you're a letter writing kind of person, you write letters or you, you type emails, you never type out writing, you know, dear uh, Bill and James, hello there, how are you doing? Dot, 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 period, re- enter, return. Chapter one, hello there, uh, just wanted to see how you're doing and just wanted to tell you, give you some advice. Chapter two, you don't write like that, right? You just write a letter. Okay? You just start, you get into it, and you go until the end, and then you say sincerely, you know, whoever it is that you are. Uh, in the same way, Peter, when he's writing, this letter, he doesn't write chapter one and put all these little verses. He just writes one letter. And the reason these, these chapters and verses came in was much later to help people like you and me to be able to reference them. So we're looking for a certain point in Peter's letter. We can say, well, look at chapter two, verses one through three. But Peter never wrote with these chapters in there. You have to understand that. And so what we read in chapter two, verses one through three is actually a continuation. is, is part of a larger letter. You do understand this. But it builds off of and feeds off of what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about redemption and how God redeemed us, paid a price. And, and the last thing we talked about was that the mark of the redeemed, the sign that you are a child of God, the sign that you have been uh, regenerated, that you have a new life in you, is that you will love. And I didn't get, get delve into this deeply, but the, the word that he used to talk about the kind of love that you have for one another, it's a picture of a, a bunch of horses that are galloping together towards the finish line. Okay, so we're, if we love each other, then the picture is we got 120, 100, however many people here, and we're all horses, and we're galloping together, trun, 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 getting the finish line, and then we finish all together. And we're like, ah, oh, you know, that was great, and we love each other because we loved until the very end. Hey, galloping horses, get that picture. All right, so look at the person next to you and say, you're a galloping horse. Okay, um, so we're all galloping together. Okay, we're a bunch of horses galloping together towards the finish line. He's saying there are two things that we look at in these three verses that are highly essential, and you know them, but two things that will be utterly an utter necessity for you to finish the race. One, you need God, and two, you need his people. Okay, you want to make it in this life, you need God, and you're going to need his people. There's no two ways about it. That's all. That's the simple message. Um, We could end here, but I want to explain it to help it make a little bit more sense to us. The first thing, two things he talks about here, how how can we get these into us? The first thing is this, community killers are out of style for Christians. What does that mean? Okay, let me say it again. Community killers are out of style for Christians. What is he he talking about? When he says in verse 1, 
therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and all these things. The picture that he's giving is, therefore, take off the clothing of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. That's what he's saying. He's take that stuff off. It's the imagery of, of we're taking a certain kind of clothing off and we're putting on a new kind of clothing. This is interesting because uh, in Olivia and my marriage, in our marriage, one of the biggest things we fight about is my sense of style or what she perceives to be as my lack of sense of style. There'd be a lot of times where, you know, I've talked about how much she hates some of the clothes in my wardrobe and I will not throw it out because I think one day it's going to come back in style because everything always, history always repeats itself. Fashion always does, right? Uh, there's certain things that she really wants me to throw out, and then there's certain things that she looks at and she says, you know what, that would be a great shirt for you to take and wear on a mission trip and then just leave down there. There will be times where I'll uh, get dressed and, and ready to go out, and she's like, where are you going? I'm going to church. I'm like, uh-uh, not like that. I'm like, why? What are you, what are you doing? I'll look at myself, and I'm like, it's, this, is, this is good. And she's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Ain't nobody your side of 50 be wearing pants like that. He's like, those are MC Hammer pants. You can't wear those things, right? Those things went out 30 years ago. I'm like, no, 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 it, it's, it's cool. You know, I don't like wearing the tight stuff. This is, it's cool. This is in. I, and I'll ask Manny. I say, Manny, I thought I looked good. And she's like, yeah, I thought it looks good. I say, no, so that, that, that does it. <laughs> like, no, 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 go. You're not going out. Go and, and, and change your, you can't wear those kinds of pants. And so she'll tell me to go in and, and, and I'll change. I'll wear something a little bit more in style. She says, you can't wear those things because that went out of style so long ago. You would be an embarrassment to yourself and to our entire family if you were to walk out like that. Hey, this is kind of what Peter is saying here. He's saying, look, that, that clothing that you're trying to wear, child, that went out of style a long time ago if you're a child of God. Hey, that, that malice, that deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, that all went out of style. The moment you became a follower of Christ, you don't wear that stuff anymore. That doesn't belong to your wardrobe anymore. You get it? Think, take that stuff off because that's not you. That's not you. You're making embarrassment of yourself and of the family that you belong to. So take that clothes off. What is he talking about? Malice. Let me just break these. These are, these are bad words. Not like bad words you get in trouble for saying it, but they, they talk about bad things. Malice is where you're resenting somebody so that you want to harm them. You ever have malice towards somebody? Like you resent what they did to you, and so you want to hurt them. You want to harm them. I don't know what it is that they did. Maybe uh, they, they gossiped about you, and they promised that they would never do that to you. Now all you want to do is, gosh, I just want to see them suffer. And so you put, we used to do this uh, when I was a kid. We used to put like snowballs in their exhaust pipe so that the car would, would blow up. We thought it would ha- something like that would happen. But when you re- are resentful for somebody and you want to harm them, that, that's what malice is. That that doesn't belong to you anymore. It doesn't matter what they did to you. That doesn't belong to your wardrobe. Take that stuff off. When he talks about deceit, all deceit, this is a very interesting word. It's interesting that Peter uses it. When he talks about deceit, you know what deceit means. It's basically uh, when you, uh, well, you deceive somebody, you tell them a lie, you trick them into thinking something when really something else is happening. The picture that he gives is it's an imagery of fishing, and to literally, it means to bait your hook. Now, here's why, it's, here's why the image is so powerful. When you go fishing, when you bait your hook, here's what you're saying to the fish. You're saying, I'm feeding you something. But really, what you're trying to do is catch them so that that fish can feed you. You get it? That's big. Mm. What a, that's a great word picture of deceit, is you say, I'm feeding you, but really you're using them to feed yourself. Like you're saying that this is for you, but really you're doing that for yourself. 
You ever have a deceitful heart? Ever do a deceitful thing? Deceive somebody, tell them one thing, but really you mean something else so that you could advance ahead of them? And that doesn't belong to you. To lie to them about something so that you, know, you, can, you can move on ahead of them? And that's, that's not characteristic of a life of a child of God anymore. It's not. That belonged to your old life. That belonged to your old wardrobe, but no more. That stuff is out of style. He goes on. He talks about hypocrisy. This is a big one, isn't it? Isn't this why so many people outside of the church dislike those inside the church? See, they're, they're hypocrites. They act all nice to you up front, but then they go back and they, they really mean. They talk bad things about you. They gossip about you, whatever it is that they do. Literally, this word, the Greek word means is, is when you go to a play, right? you're an actor, you're an actor. You go and, and then when you go on stage, you put on this mask. Put on this mask so that wherever you go, you, you see this, um, I think it was a Lakers and, and Knicks game where Jeremy Lin was playing and they had these guys and they had these Jeremy Lin masks on, right? It's hiding what was behind the mask. That's hypocrisy. Like your true self is being hidden. Even though our hearts are filled with sin, we come and, and we pretend as if we're, we're all that. We pretend as if we're all holier. Or we're really mean and we, we, we talk about people behind their back, but then we're in front of them, we smile at them. Say, hey, you know what? You're my best friend. You're nice to them up front, but really you're just kind of putting on a mask. When someone asks you how you're doing, say, hey, I want to pray for you. Oh, everything's cool, man. Everything's all good. Then really you've got all of these things poisoning your soul. And he's saying that's what hypocrisy is. It's wearing a mask. And he goes on, he talks about envy. Envy is where you see something that somebody else has or someone else's position or someone else's status. And not only do you want that, but you begin to despise them because they have that. You know what I'm talking about? Like you've got this job and they've got that job. Not only do you want their job, but you want to see them fall so that they can't have that job anymore. This is underhanded. This is terrible. Like they've got that boyfriend, they've got that girlfriend. And yeah, everyone else is happy for them, but I, I really, man, I hope, they, I hope they break up. I hope they do something bad. And so maybe we even spin some lies and begin to talk about them bad so that that relationship ends up falling apart. That's envy. And then he says slander of every kind. Like slander is, is basically when you talk down to somebody. It could take a bunch of different forms. This, it looks like gossip. It looks like talking trash about somebody. It's about spinning lies about somebody so that you could get ahead of them. It's anything that you say about another person that causes their name, their reputation to become lessened, causes you to chop them down, cut them down as a person so that you can get ahead of them. He's saying all of these things, all of these things, think about that for a second, just in your own life. How much are these operating in your life? How much of these find themselves Nestled alongside of the clothing in your spiritual wardrobe. Deceit, malice, envy, slander. And how much of these things, hypocrisy, is a part of our lives? I think these things don't belong in the wardrobe of a child of God. That went out of style a whole long time ago. But he, 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 doesn't, just, he doesn't just say that and, and move on, but the, the reason why this is so important What is it about all of these sins? In every one of these sins, the individual is elevated at the expense of the community. You get that? Like I am advancing myself at cost to the rest of the people. 
Like I'm advancing my name and my needs, my desires, my popularity, my fame, my, the things that I want for the sake of other people. That my needs become more important than the needs of others. My desires become more important than the needs of others. I am advantaging myself by disadvantaging other people. By chopping them down, I'm elevating myself. Here's what he's saying at the very heart of it. He's saying these sins kill the very community that you're called to live amongst. That's why, that's why it's so out of style. It's one thing to talk about how this is poisoning your own heart, but he's saying this is poisoning your entire community. How are you supposed to gallop alongside one another when you're hoping that they're going to fall? Because if they fall, then you fall too. Do you get it? You can't gallop together when you're wanting someone else to trip and stumble. How can you gallop alongside of each other when they're looking and asking, how are you doing? You're like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, but really you're dying. You're going to fall out of the race. You cannot gallop alongside. You cannot love one another if you're living with these community-killing sins in operation in your life. You can't. That's why these sins are so lethal is it's not just about you and, and God. This is about you and the community. It's poisoning the very fiber and fabric of the life that God has called you to live amongst. When I was doing youth ministry and people would talk to me about, about dating, they know I had a very hardline stance about it. I tell people nowadays, my, you know, my hope and my dream would be that people from our congregation would grow up, rise up, get married, and that would be awesome. That would be great. But there's a right time and a right place for it. And so when people would, would, would uh, come to me and they would say, hey, you know, such and such are, are dating, um, I would usually, a lot of times I would say something like this. I would say, look, if you two want to date and you're in our youth ministry, then one of you needs to leave our church. Because here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. I guarantee it's going to happen. When you break up, not if you break up, but when you break up, because you will, when you break up, what's going to happen is you're going to go on one side, another person's going to go on the other side, and all your friends are going to divide. Do you see how that kills community? And then they say, what happened? And you begin slandering them, say, oh, you know, they're bad, they're mean, they're dirty, they talked about me, and, and they like somebody else, and, and then people begin to choose sides. I say, if that's going to happen, don't do that in my church. Don't do that in my youth ministry. Go to another church. That way, nobody's going to be upset. Now, you go do that. If you can't put your own desires behind the desires of the greater community, then go. That's cool. That's fine. But not here, not in our house. Because that's what happens. Our sins are not just individual sins. It affects everybody. It affects the community. All of these things do. Saying, don't put the needs of yourself before the needs of the community because that stuff belongs to your old life, you see. Put that stuff behind you and move forward because you're killing the community that you are called to create. Do you understand? He's saying, in the place of where, where all of the, this, this, this is happening, your culture, your society is talking bad about you and, and, and you're an outcast there, it should be that within the church you find your place of belonging. I said that the first week. It should be that within the church you find your place of belonging. It's hard enough to live as a child of God, as an alien, a stranger in a foreign galaxy, in a foreign world. It's hard enough for you to do that. But what happens when you move into the community and there's all this bickering and all this fighting? How are you going to make it then? You can't gallop together if these community-killing sins are in operation in your life. So take inventory for a second. Are there people that you just can't stand being around? Are there people that if, as soon as their name comes up, you begin talking bad about them? As soon as you think about them, you just wish that, I wish I could, not nice things to them. 
Or is, is there a sense of hypocrisy where you feel like I've got to always present this front that everything is cool and everything is good and everything's all right, when really life is eating away from the inside out? And I feel like I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. If you want to gallop together, you want to love each other, you want to move together until the very end, then you've got, to, you've got to let go of these things. How do we do that? Well, we'll talk about that. But the second thing that we see here, okay, not only community-killing sins, community killers are out of style for the life of a Christian. The second thing that we see is we need to crave God as if our lives depended on it. Crave God as if your life depends on it. Verse 2 and 3, what it says. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. What he's saying is if you've tasted the goodness of God, you would crave more of him. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see. Would you not want more? This is, this is the principle that all advertising works upon, isn't it? You go to any mall, go to, go to an outlet mall. You'll see these guys in a kiosk in the middle of things saying, hey, 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 come here, come here. Hey, I see your ring. You want me to shine your ring? I'll make it look better than new. Make it look like the day you got it. And they'll shine it. And so you look at it and they just want you to take a sample of it so that you can see how good it is because they think if as long as they can bait you in, then you're going to buy it. Right? Because if you, if, you, if you get a sample, you're going to want more. That's what they do at all of Mall and Millennium. You go to the food court. You ever been to a food court? I've talked about this before, but there's this one place. Gosh, they're aggressive. I don't know what it's called, um, but you walk into Millennia Food Court from the parking lot, and you go to the left, and it's like the second or third one. But they got all – it's like a game. They got like five people up there, and they got little things on a toothpick. And, and then they yell at you. That everything that they're trying – they're basically saying, if you taste it, then you're going to buy it. And so they, they, it's funny. You see, you're, you're an Asian person. I'm an Asian person. I walk by. They're like, are you Chinese? No. Nope. Are you Japanese? No. Nope. Are you Mongolian? No. Nope. Are you Indonesian? No. Nope. Are you Malaysian? No. Nope. Are you Korean? Yes. And they say all of these things. They're just trying to get me to eat it. Because they're thinking, and I don't know, it's always, every place is bourbon chicken. <laughs> I don't know why it's always bourbon chicken. But they're like, just taste it, because if you taste it, then you're going to want more. And this is, what, this is what Peter's saying. It's like, if you taste, man, if you get man, just a taste of, of how good God is, then you're going to want more of him. And just, just get a little bit of That's why people give out samples. Just taste it. One of our family's favorite shows is Yo, Yo Gabba Gabba. This is like brainwashing. They do these Jedi mind tricks to get you to start singing certain songs and you don't even care about them. But there's this one song where they're trying to get you to eat, ve- trying to get little kids to eat vegetables. And then the song says, try it, you'll like it. Try it, you'll like it. And then you just, all of a sudden, that's what we're saying to, to Manny. Try it, you'll like it, try it. And then these Yo Gabba creatures, who, they're, they're weird creatures, but they end up trying a vegetable and then they start singing along. And they're like, I tried it and now I like it. I tried it, and now I like it. I didn't think I would like it, and I tried it, and now I like it, and, and everything is good in the world. That's, that's the whole point of what Peter's saying. He's saying, try it, because you'll like it, and you'll never want to go back, if you understand, if you get it. Jeremy Lin, I, I, I tried not to talk about him, but on his, if you read his Twitter, Twitter page, like the quote that underneath his name, he says uh, something like, um, now that I know God, I want to know him even more. 
Isn't that how it ought to be? If you taste the goodness of God, well, Peter's making something clear. He, he's like, God is not a subject to be studied in an academic realm. He's a banquet to be enjoyed. That's who God is. You don't just sit in your ivory tower and talk about God and theology and all predestination and salvation and, and glorification and sanctification and all of these things. And, and it's all up here. No, he's saying it's all in here. It's, it's, it's something that you internalize. It's, it's, it's taste it. Experience it. Of all this, this is the most one that is personal. It is internal to yourself. He's saying taste him and, and see that God is good. And if you taste him and you see, then you will not want to go back to anything else. Say taste it because he's good and he's worthy and he will satisfy you. See, the thing is, it's heightened in, in this sense because he says, like newborn babies. You ever... I don't know if you've ever seen a newborn baby. Um, I know, uh, well, obviously those who have babies have seen a newborn baby, but when Manny was first born um, and she was, Olive had to go to the recovery room and so I was with Manny and there was a doctor with me and the whole time, first like hour of her life, she's just screaming and screaming. She's like, ah, ah, ah. She's like clenching her fists and it's like the first 15 pictures and videos I have are like, ah. <laughs> and the doctor's like, I think she's hungry. And I'm like, yeah, no joke. <laughs> he puts his, like, finger in, in, in her mouth. He's got, like, a glove on. He puts his finger, his pinky in Manny's mouth, and she's like, oh, she's, like, sucking. And he's like, yep, she's hungry. And I think, wow, that's what he means when he says, like, newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. He's saying that's all she wants. She, get in that place. And then as soon as, as soon as a newborn baby begins drinking milk, everything is at peace in the world again. Everything is perfect. Doesn't matter what's been happening. Get in the milk, and then all of a sudden life is good. You... There's nothing else that she wants at that time. I don't, like, bring pho, bring whatever, fried chicken. Say, Manny, you want some? Bring gummy bears. Here, you want some? She's like, no, I don't want that stuff. All I want is milk. That's all I want. That's all I want. Just give me, give me the milk. He's saying, look, as a, as a follower of Christ, as a child of God, you want to make it until the end. You've got to crave God it tells us spiritual milk. It's not just talking about the word of God. I, I don't have time to explain it. It's talking about all that God offers to you. Say, a lot of times we want God and, and, and then all of these other things. He's saying crave pure spiritual milk. There's a single-mindedness to this baby. All they want and the only thing that can satisfy them is milk. And not only all they can satisfy, but if they don't get it, then they're going to die. That's the desperation that a baby has, that a newborn baby has, longing for milk longing for, for the only thing that can satisfy. It's not like, hey, mom, hey, when you get a moment, can you come here because I want some milk? Or, hey, I'll take some if you've got some. No, it's, it, this is the, an absolute and utter necessity to my survival and sustenance in life. It's all of it is, is, is in you. All of it is in that place. That's all I need. That's all I want because anything else will leave me empty and nothing else can satisfy me. Think this is how we need to crave God. This is how we need to crave Him. You miss Sunday at church. It shouldn't be, oh, okay, that's cool. I'll, I'll just come back next week. He said, there ought to be this kind of like, ah, when you miss church on Sunday, do you get it? You can't go to, you can't have your quiet time for, some, for one day. You can't make it to youth meeting. That should be the sense of loss that you have. When you crave after God in that way, do you get it? 
That's what he's saying. And a lot of us don't crave God that way. Many of us don't crave God that way. We're like, if I get it, I get it. That's cool. But if not, that's, that's fine also. We make all kinds of... Let, let, me, let me ratchet it up a little bit. Peter, when he says this, this is the only imperative. This is a command that he's giving. He's saying, crave. You need to crave. You must crave. It is not an option. You've got to do it. This is commanded. If you don't crave him, then you're committing sin. Well, how can I crave what I don't want? Isn't that what a lot of times we say? say I just don't want him. I'm not feeling him. I don't desire him. He's saying, don't let yourself off that easy. Go, move towards him. At one point, you probably did crave him. What happened? Did God become less appetizing to you? Did he become any different? Did the meal change? No, it's the fact that we've changed, that we no longer want him, that we've settled for lesser lovers and for lower appetites and baser desires. We've settled for other things. We don't want him the way that we used to. That's not his fault. That's our fault. And so he says, go after him, crave him, long for him, pursue him the way that you would pursue that, that, that person or whatever it is that you want. Go after him, run after him. Don't let yourself off the hook. Move towards him, long for him, hunger after him. Don't say it's not there. Go get it. Go get it, people of God. This is your destiny. Pursue him. Long for him. Don't give in to your baser appetites and desires. Pursue after Christ. That's what he's saying. Olive and I, this week, were listening to a sermon before we went to bed. We just listened to a 10-minute soundbite from a message by Francis Chan. Someone had recommended it. So we're listening to it. And the, the whole point of this message, I don't know what the point of the message was, the point of that, that, that blurb that we listened to. He's like, there are a lot of people, when I look at their lives, their lives don't make sense according to Scripture. He says, especially I look at the lives of people who are older, and I look at their lives, and their lives don't make sense according to how I read the Bible. And he, he began to share about this, this person who said to him, you know, when we're young, it's almost like every year older we get with every birthday, it's like, the speed of life increases one mile per hour. So when we're five years old, life passes by so slowly. Get to 10 years old, goes a little bit faster, but moving about 10 miles an hour. Get to 20, all of a sudden you're like, well, it's getting a little bit quicker. Get to 30, it's like a nice, you know, it's still a little bit fast, but it's a nice pace. You hit 40, then all of a sudden you're like, holy cow. I need to, I need to make certain changes in my life. All right, by the time you get to 60, by the time you get to 80, you're flying, and you know that at any moment you could be taken home. Thing. If that's the case, if, if you're going that fast into eternity, then doesn't it make sense that you would give everything that you have, more so than when you were 18, to know Christ and to make him known if you know that you've only got that little time? He says it, it, it's lamentable that people say that it's, it's when I was 18 that I was at my most hungry for God. Or it was what I was, you know, in, in these, these later, he says, it doesn't make sense to me. Wouldn't it make sense that you would hunger and long for God more on the back end of your life if you know that you're getting closer and closer and closer to eternity and you're going faster and faster into eternity? Doesn't it make sense that you would crave him and long for him more in those days than you did when you felt like you had your entire life to live? And as we're hearing that, I'm just feeling convicted. I say, God, I want to I I run after you. I want to love you more when I'm 80 than when I'm 18. I want to love you more when I'm on my, on my dying, on my deathbed, on my final breath. I want to love you now than I ever have at any point in my life. Think that's what it means to crave, to crave 
pure spiritual milk and to not be satisfied with God and all of these other things because then we'll never crave. But to just long for it in the same way that a baby craves for milk and nothing else, that we would have that kind of a desperation for God and for all that he has for you and me. Because look, you want to make it? You need God and you need his people like you have no idea. And then to tie these two things together. Because look, if you're living with malice and envy and slander and hypocrisy and deceit in your life, then you will never crave God the way that you need to. Because these things choke out your desire for God. This is the message all throughout the Bible, guys. It's a message all throughout Scripture. The greatest commandment is not one, it's two. Love God and love your neighbor. Jesus says, you've got to worship God, you've got to bring a gift to God, then you go reconcile with your neighbor first. 1 John 4, don't even talk about loving God whom you can't see if you can't love the person here that you can see. All throughout Scripture, it's the same thing, guys. You cannot have one without the other. You love God, then you have to love people. And if you don't love people, no, this is why some people don't grow no matter how many times they read the Word, no matter how many times they go to Bible study, no how many times they come to church. You've been in church for 50 years. I don't care. But if you've got malice and all of these things in your heart, you're not going to grow. There's no two ways about it. That's all. That's what he's saying. Your relationship with God will only go as high as your relationship with each other. And if there's a problem in your relationship with God, it could very well be because there's a problem in your relationship with people. And if there's a problem in your relationship with people, it could also very well be that there's a problem in your relationship with God. I'm not making this stuff up, guys. This is, this is the Bible. I'm just a messenger here. You've got to hear what God is saying. You've got to hear what he's saying. We can't live trying to be okay this way if we're not okay this way. We've got to let God touch these things. All of this goes back to taste and see that the Lord is good because if you do, then you will crave. And if you crave, then you'll get rid of these desires also. See, every community that Jesus Christ was ever, ever a part of, his family, the religious leaders, the group of him plus 12, in every one of these communities, he ended up being shunned. He ended up being hypocrisy, Judas Iscariot, deceit. He sold him. He was slandered, malice, all of these things, envy. People wanted what he had. In all of these places, that's what he got. And yet Jesus, taste this, see this. At the cross, Jesus Christ disadvantaged himself so that the entire community could gain the advantage. Jesus Christ took everything that you and I deserved for our deceit, malice, envy, slander, and hypocrisy. He took all of that upon himself. He took our disadvantage, and he died for it so that we could gain the advantage of being able to have all of God. Can you imagine that you and I can have God and that we could gallop together? all of life and on into eternity. Like, this is what it means. He says, taste this and see this. And once you get a taste, keep on wanting because there's free refills wherever you go. He gives that to you for free. Let's pray. My friends, let's respond just simply. Maybe for some of us, there's some stuff going on in our relationships with people. 
And God's saying, hey, forgive, let go, forgive. Don't poison yourself or them or your community, your church. Don't do that. Let go. Maybe others of us, God's saying, hey, I know you want me. But I want you to want me a little bit more. Hear the voice of God saying, I've missed you. You've been away a little bit. But be desperate again. Be hungry again. Crave again. Long again. Seek again. And find again. Let's take a moment to come before the Lord in prayer. If you want to pray quietly in your heart, please do. If it helps you to pray a little bit out loud, then you can do that as well. But with honesty, with an open heart, there needs to be no hypocrisy. There's no need for hypocrisy. God sees all that anyway. Let's just bring our hearts before the Lord. Say, God, I need you. I need you. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Let's pray for a few moments and then I'll pray on our behalf. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us everything that we need in order to confront the hardship, suffering, persecution that comes our way in life. You've given us more than enough in yourself and in your people. We confess that a lot of times we run crippled through life because we neglect the life-giving, strength-giving means of grace that you have given to us in you, in corporate worship, in house church, in fellowship, whatever it might be, as well as in the word of God and your people. Forgive us, Lord God. Cleanse us and change us. Open our eyes now to see and open our mouth now to taste that you are good and that you are very, very good, that it would thrust us forward to crave for more of you, to strip off the old clothes of our old lives and to run, to gallop together towards you with joy, with hope, with strength, with life, with honesty, for the sake of your call. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.